This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today's program, we are going to tackle this crazy world that we're in right now of COVID-19 pandemic. This is a leadership podcast, and so today I want to talk to leaders that are leading in a crisis, and boy, is it a crisis. I want to talk to people that have boots on the ground and making these leadership decisions in uncharted territory. The effects that they may, or the effects on their decisions are not only on themselves, but the lives of those who work for them and, and their entire families. The enormity uh, of the decision making process is just uh, hard to get your head around. And how do you maintain the business and position your company to be able to come out on the other side? These are all big, huge questions that these leaders are, are, are trying to figure out. We're going to talk to people who are dealing with these changes and issues as we speak. So this is on the ground, and this is something that's happening right now, and every day is different. We're going to start uh, by talking to Todd Gifford, who's the CEO of a large private practice physical therapy company. We're also going to talk with Cynthia Gormizano, who is trying to keep her team of 45 employees together after she has decided to close her doors. We're also going to talk to Dan Anderson, who is on the front lines in a, in a retirement community where the residents are part of a compromised class that are really the most vulnerable. Next, we're going to talk to Gus Hauser, who has, who's had to close an entire company of 125 employees in Kentucky. We're also going to dis- have a discussion with Teresa Marco, who closed her doors in Manhattan in New York City because she could not carry out the social distancing that is required in a massive city. And then we're going to have a discussion with Al D'Agostino, who, as a crisis management consultant, has been advising clients since last fall when the coronavirus started in China. Then we're going to finish out the program today by talking to Drew Bosson, who has just found out that his largest client needs to stop services for a while due to cash concerns. And how do you manage through that crisis? And what does all the what does the future look like? Nobody knows. It's just such un, uncharted territories and, and unprecedented in most of our lifetimes. So how do you protect your talented staff? And, and there's just such huge decisions that affect so many. And there's no guidebook for this. Let's let's pick their brains and see uh, how they are navigating the unknown. In a time of crisis, leadership really matters. And what you do today will determine how you come out on the other side, adding more and more pressure to these decisions. How can you contribute in a positive way to help your broader community get through this besides just yourself and those that count on you? And let's talk with those in the trenches and see what leadership looks like and feels like. I felt compelled to deal with this issue head on since we are in this crisis and everyone's looking for advice, everyone's looking for help, and everyone's looking for uh, some 
prediction of the future, what can happen. And even though we may not be able to provide that today, hopefully what you can get out of this podcast, this episode, is that you can hear what others are dealing with and how they're approaching it. I think it's very insightful and very helpful. I also want to tell you that this podcast is quite a bit longer than some of my other episodes. We had a lot of people that uh, to talk to and a lot of great opinions, and I encourage you to stick with it. What you'll hear at the end of this episode is as important as a, and as impactful as what we talk about at the beginning of the podcast. So um, I hope you uh, uh, tune in today, uh, uh, listen to what uh, leaders are doing on the ground, and um, hopefully it'll help you try and chart your course in this unprecedented time. Our first guest is Todd Gifford, who I've known for probably 30 years. He was the COO when I was the CEO of Therapeutic Associates, and I had that position for 19 years. He is now currently the CEO of the company. Todd took over the head position a little over three years ago, and this is by far the biggest situation he's had to deal with, and quite frankly, probably a bigger situation than most of us have ever had to deal with. So uh, let's hear what he has to say and what they're trying to do as a company and hear the strategies, concerns, and struggles that they're dealing with as we move forward. I'd like to welcome to the program Todd Gifford, who is the CEO of Therapeutic Associates. And for those of you who don't know, Therapeutic Associates is the largest uh, privately owned PT company in the country, in the Pacific Northwest. And so Todd is with us today, and uh, just like every other leader in this uh, pandemic, he's having to make some really tough decisions. So Todd, welcome to the program, and uh, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you, Steve, for asking me. So, uh, you know, you've got, uh, what, a 1,000 employees. You've got um, close to 100 clinics. The enormity of the decisions you're making have got to be, uh, have got to be a heavy load. Yeah, it's a once-in-a-lifetime time. So some things we didn't really think could were possible a couple months ago. Now it's uh, those types of things are in front of us. So, yeah, it's a... It's a difficult time. People see what's going on around them in the society, and uh, we're just doing our best to try to reassure people, but also be uh, forthright and give them the information that we know um, as it comes at us full speed. And so your decision at this point is to remain open and to try and provide services that are necessary. And um, are, are you doing that across the board? Or are you kind of letting individual clinics decide on how to do that? What, what's your strategy there? Well, we took a company stance and we've taken it from the start. And then I think it's been supported by um, information that's come out through the process. So, you know, we look at physical therapy as an essential business. Um, there was a document that came out late last week from the Department of Homeland Security that uh, where PT is outlined on that. We also have a hospital contract, uh, so we've kept in contact with that. And then we've had other people that are closely connected to hospital systems. And um, so that was our stance to begin with. And I think uh, other information that's come out, guidance from California, and also, again, from the Department of Homeland Security, and then people are kind of following that lead as far as what they're defining as essential industries. And I, you know, on the outpatient side, you know, our position is that anything we can do to support the system now to prevent people from seeking care um, that would, that could be handled in an outpatient standpoint that would, if untreated, would 
would lead to increased uh, loads on primary care physicians or on the hospital systems or ER. If we can play a role in that, um, we're helping, you know, do things to help society as a whole. Yeah, and I think that document you're referring to that came out of the Homeland Security was just that in the sense that, you know, a physical therapist can meet the needs of their patients, uh, pain and mobility issues and so on, and and help them through that, then that keeps them from clogging up uh, the health system by going to their uh, physicians or trying to get into the emergency rooms or going to the hospitals and so on. So that uh, that's part of the part of the role of physical therapy at this point. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the other thing that I'm learning is, uh, you know, it's part of the bigger argument that we have in PT all along. You know, we're fighting uh, things with Medicare, to, you know, for direct not only direct access in the past, but to be looked at as a primary care provider for musculoskeletal and other conditions. Um, we're making those arguments on a daily, you know, daily with when we're trying to um, contract with payers on things that should be included in their their benefits. So I, I think it's just heightened the awareness around this. And as a profession, I think it'll be really healthy in the end that we've had to have these tough dis- uh, discussions. But, you know, if you talk to somebody in a hospital setting and um, any provider that works in a hospital setting, if they were to make the argument they can't come uh, to work to provide care because they feel like they're on a, an essential, it's uh, or non-essential, it's, a, um, it's not something that's necessarily tolerated. So it's been good for us to be in contact with those environments and really get their perspective as we work with our outpatient providers. And so there's the the aspect of it. Um, you know, I'm sure that your volumes and your revenues are off uh, significantly, and so there's that that financial part of it. But then there's also the, um, I guess the only way to describe it is the fear part of it. I mean, uh, people that are treating the public um, may be afraid that they're going to contract the virus or they're going to pass the virus on. So. Uh, you kind of have to deal with it in both ways. You have to deal with their concerns of their own health and others' health, but then there's also the revenue side that um, that drives it as well. Yeah, and we we definitely want to look out for the safety of our our employees and our our patients. And yeah, so it's led to some really you know good and healthy discussions. And yeah, this it's heightened because of the current situation, but we also know that. Uh, these tape, same types of conditions and exposure to uh, viruses walk through our clinics every day. So uh, I think, again, hopefully this will lead to some improved procedures and awareness around this in the long term. But in the front end, you know, our, uh, things happening today, we feel that if we screen our providers and our patients well, um, ask the appropriate questions, do other screen, enhanced screening uh, to keep the sick out of our clinics, and then that we're following all the CDC guidelines around cleaning and uh, disinfecting our clinics uh, on a vigilant schedule and after every tr- before and after every treatment, uh, then we're taking steps that really limit the, the risk to our people. So you're the CEO of a very large company, You've got a lot of employees that are looking to you for leadership, so you have um, you have to give messages that that give them some some hope or comfort, I guess. And then you also have to make some hard financial decisions. Uh, 
Um, you're in a tough spot right now. That's that's got to take a lot of time and worry. How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm doing fine. I, uh, it's really sharpened. You know, these types of situations really sharpen your focus and um, and your communication skills. I think one of the things that I feel really thankful for is the team I have around me that can help support that. Um, but also some of the things we've done in recent years to really improve the communication structures and uh, with our clinics, our, you know, and all staff members. So, you know, as you develop trust and, you know, you were part of developing that in our organization for a long time. So as people really look to their leaders and they trust them, um, they just want to know, uh, you know, as forthright as we can be on an ongoing basis, what's going on. So um, we try to be as transparent as we can with our staff members, what we're thinking. And uh, what I've really tried to do is lay out in my communication to um, when I send things out to all of our employees, uh, what's the background on why we're making the decisions we're making. And they may not agree with it. Um, but they also know that they have venues and we've offered venues for them to voice their opinions, even those that we might not agree with. So, um, yeah, that's, I think it's been a, uh, it's been a long, the last two weeks have felt really long, but, um, I also feel very thankful that I got a great team around me that's helped, um, you know, just process the wave of information, both internally and externally to help us be able to give our people answers. And relating to that with your team, I mean, uh, with the revenue hits that you're taking, you just, uh, I would assume you're just going to have to reduce some some staff and cut some costs and try and get through this time that's the unknown time. I mean, you can't continue to go full speed uh, uh, with staff and, and expenses uh, over the next few weeks, can you? The immediate things that we need to do is help people at all levels of our company understand that this isn't a short-term thing. And I think there's still some people in denial that, you know, last week felt like a, you know, in the Northwest, we would call it a snowmageddon where we would have a, a, a week with adverse weather. I mean, that's what the first week felt like, but um, knowing that that's going to go on, um, you know, I've, I feel for a minimum of 12 weeks, if not, you know, three to five or longer months. So, Yes, we need to do things to increase, decrease our expenses so that we can weather the storm. And I think um, everybody in our organization would understand that our goal is to have a sustainable business that is going to be around after this is all said and done. And that uh, our organization, hopefully they'll trust that we the decisions we make to, to create that environment, serve the people that we need now, but also be around. Uh, when this is all over, they're going to understand that that's going to include some sacrifice at a lot of different levels. And then, you know, you, the, just the structure of the company, you have um, a lot of people involved. It's a, it's a collaborative in the sense of how the ownership is. It's collaborative in the sense that how the executive staff works together and so on. And so uh, what's your day look like, you know, in the last couple of weeks? I mean, are you just having meeting after meeting <laughs> after meeting or... Um, are you more boots on the ground trying to make things happen? What What's your day-to-day -day look like right now? Uh, well, our executive team, you know, we've gone from weekly check-ins to uh, basically daily at this point in time. Then uh, um, we're having noon. At noon, we have um, kind of office hours where um, 
uh, key members of our executive team are on Skype and directors can call in and we go through the news we know of the day, things that are happening, and then we open up for a Q&A um, with that. And then our board has met several times in the last week and we'll have at least weekly, if not bi-weekly calls to discuss uh, bigger decisions that we need to make as a company. You know, and then we're communicating via email. We've set up a dedicated uh, email address internally for people to send messages to at uh, any employee to send something on that enables us to track what the questions are, what people are thinking, respond to specific things, but also use those to inform our our other communications. So, yeah, it's really busy, and it's just you know I think last last week I looked at one point in time there's at least a hundred emails coming in a um, every hour or two to me, um, and other people in our organization are feeling that also. So. Um, yeah, a lot of it's just communication. It's been long days, but I think that's the same for, for everybody that's leading some type of organization at this point in time. And what's your message that you're trying to get out to your directors and all those clinics? What, what are you trying to tell them? What do you, what do you want them to hear? Well, the first week it started out with uh, stay calm and wash your hands. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now it's, uh, you know, then it was a lot of talking about why we're an essential business, why we need to stay open. And I feel that this week we need to move beyond that, that, you know, people may still not agree with that, but uh, we need to move on that we are open for the long run. Now it's how do we, um, how do we change in this environment, how we provide uh, support to other healthcare providers around us so that we're, uh, we're part of the solution and they know that we're still there to serve people that may be holding off on elective procedures and doing it in a way that's really we're trying to be constructive, not necessarily taking advantage of the situation. We're just trying to offer our services to the greater healthcare community in that way and reassuring our patients, you know, having candid discussions around them and kind of a shared decision-making model so that they know uh, we're looking out for them. And if it's not appropriate for them to come in, um, we're, do, you know, we're looking at that and may, having those discussions. Now we're also looking at, you know, we've been testing telemedicine for uh, over the last year, but we're really ramping up to be able to meet some of our patients' needs through that venue and doing it still in a, a way that is, you know, takes into consideration quality and training our providers to do it, uh, regardless of the reimbursement at this time, that we may just have to look at that as more of a customer service thing and doing what we can to help patients that don't want to be in our clinics or, or shouldn't be, and then also helping them kind of bridge this time uh, with their care. And and Todd, I uh, hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot here, but I'm just wondering how 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 much down are you? I mean, have, have people stopped coming in? Have you um, do you see a huge drop off in in the patients that you're treating, or are most people still kind of a trick, you know, coming in and, and a wait and see thing at this point? It's uh, so we're across four states: so Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and California. Um, there's definitely local pockets that are hit harder than others. You know, obviously the Washington, especially in the Seattle market, is hit hard. But even in those markets, we still have some clinics that um, their impact has been uh, not too bad. Uh, but overall, in our outpatient, it's around a 30% drop. And that's both a new patient. We're still seeing new patients. We're getting new 
patients coming in. But if I look at just in the last week and compare it to uh, last year and then also earlier in March, late February, it's about a 30% decrease. That's tough. Uh, no one predicted that. That's for sure. That's yeah. a that's a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Well, what other things can you can can you let us know from a leadership perspective? What what do you think that um, uh, you know when you uh, get up every morning? What's your biggest challenge? I try to make sure that I'm going to trusted sources for information. So, uh, you know, one of the things we really had to think about in the last week is we hear a ton of rumors every day, but we always point people back to the actual source information so that we're not, our emotions aren't going up and down with information that we can't control. Um, I always, you know, I'm, uh, I want to always remind myself to kind of uh, consider what's going on in the, the lives and um, you know, greater society, but also all of our employees and patients have families and there's stresses on there that we don't necessarily see or know every day. So um, I'm trying to think about those things in my responses to questions and communication, you know, really leading with uh, compassion first around the overall issues that go are going on. And then also trying to make sure that we're, uh, not making decisions too fast, but not going too slow. So really trying to temper that we're being thoughtful and not, uh, you know, pulling the trigger too quick on things. So, um, you know, I, I, you know me, Steve, I love data and information. So I'm trying to take that in, but also listening to other people around me that have different uh, personality types and really collaborating to make sure that we're, uh, we're communicating in a way that um, is constructive and trying to control the message a little bit, but also empower people that I trust to uh, deliver information in a constructive way. And you're, you know, well connected across the nation in uh, the National Association circles, but also in uh, some peer groups that you're part of and so on. What is, do you feel like uh, PTs are coming together as a community or do you feel there's some judgment going on? Like, uh, why are you closed and why are you open and what are you doing? How, how do you think our greater community within our physical therapy world is handling this? Well, I know, you know, it's, uh, I'm in a peer to peer group, I, you know, and I know that um, each of those organizations have uh, made different decisions, which is, is fine, but we're also sharing uh, information and, uh, you know, even communication that we're giving to people internally and externally. Um, I, I've, I hear the rumors of some of the, um, you know, communication out there uh, regarding uh, this, you know, the issue around are we a essential business or not, and should we be open or not? I, um, I have not gone and read all those things, you know, and but. There's comments, and I just, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I really feel when you look at Twitter or you look at uh, social media stuff, it's just a very small portion of the people out there, and it represents sometimes the extremes of the discussions, not the not the middle ground where you can have constructive things. So, yeah, I'm tracking stuff, but I, I, um, I 
I want to make sure that we're making informed decisions and not reacting to things. Right, right. Well, so. I, you know, but there is, you know, the other, you know, I'm in a Vistage group too, and uh, with other leaders of other industries. So uh, it's been very helpful for me to hear how they're uh, weighing big decisions, and especially in times of crisis like this, uh, you know, we need to take an academic uh, view first and not necessarily. Uh, let our emotions get the best of us. Um, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be compassionate and in how we communicate and think about things. But uh, you know, this is just unprecedented time. So some of the things we need to do and decide on, we just have to look at the rational side of it first um, and let our emotions. Uh, not let our emotions overtake those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I think it's uh, it is an unprecedented time, and it's just to, to lead and um, you know it's, it's easy to read books and to learn from experience or whatever. And this is what you do next. But uh, this is one of those times where uh, nobody knows what to do next. You just have to you know go with uh, what you what you feel is right. Uh, do your due diligence. Uh, help as many people as you can, and, and just move forward. It's 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 going to be really interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Todd. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I know you got a lot busy. Uh, I'm talking to you on a Sunday, which is probably the only time I probably could have got you on the phone. So I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I realize you got a lot to deal with. So good luck. And of course, uh, you know, I, my heart and blood's always in uh, TAI. So good luck to all of you and all the, all the colleagues and friends we have in that company. Thanks, Steve. And I, I just uh, want the people out there that, you know, are in these positions too. I, um, if they ever need somebody to talk to or collaborate with, they're always welcome to reach out to to TAI, the leadership. We always want to collaborate with others. We learn a lot from them, too. Okay. Thanks so much, Todd. Take care. All right. Thanks, Steve. Our next guest is Cynthia Gormazana, who is really in the epicenter of New York City. She had six physical therapy practices that she is running and has around 45 to 50 employees, and she's had to shut her doors, and it's just been a really heart-wrenching decision, but she did it for the right reasons. So let's talk to her and see what it's like to be really in the center of all this craziness. I'd like to welcome to the program Cynthia Gormazano from New York City. Cynthia, thanks for being on the program today, and uh, I understand that you have uh, physical therapy clinics in New York City, um, six, I believe, with uh, close to 50 employees, and, and, and you've decided to close. So why don't you just tell us uh, how you came to that decision and, and what you're going through with that decision right now. Thank you for having me, Steve. I am processing everything that's going on on an hourly basis. I've been very blessed to have a very successful company over the past 19 years. And I recognize I haven't done it alone. I have an extraordinarily talented team. And I feel a sense of obligation to them as well. I have to recognize even the support staff, all the women that work at my front desk are so extraordinary in grabbing business for us. I really don't want to let them down. And I know a lot of them live check to check. New York City is a very tough place to live. Some of them have kids. And I just don't want to let them down. They've never let me down. And I want to try to be there for them as long as possible. We are aggressively pursuing telehealth visits. We sort of came up with some numbers. If we can do 
if every therapist can do 20 telehealth visits, we'll be able to make payroll. Yeah, and you've uh, and you've decided to to close your doors for now, and and uh, I'm intrigued that, um, that that you haven't told your people that. Uh, uh, you're not going to pay them. You're continuing to pay them in in in, in some way, and uh, it's extremely admirable. But what's what's the theory behind that? I mean, that's that's a big ask for a small employer. I've made a lot of money the past few years, and I couldn't have done it alone. So if I have to spread out my loss over the next three years, I just feel like I have to do that right now. I'm not going to go into enormous debt that I couldn't pay back, but I'm willing to take a loss. And I, I, I don't have the exact answer, but I know that I'm not here without them. I, I just feel like I have to be a team player here. Like I can't keep all the money they've made with for me and not and like throw them to the wind. I just can't do that. I'm applauding. That, that, that's awesome that, that you're thinking that way and doing it that way. Now, you have made some adjustments, though, right? Well, um, I let go of my marketing team because I felt like that really is dispensable at the moment. But the PTs who have built over time and that we've opened clinics together and the admins, I can't explain to you how extraordinary each and every person is. Our team is second to none. So I just want to hold them close to me right now. We will, we did do like a, a few phases. Phase one, next payroll, we cut people's salary by 25%. Um, and we'll see what revenue is generated. I am going to negotiate with the landlords for a rent reduction that I don't have to pay back later. I'm also trying to get money back from things that I spent, like we were planning a corporate event, which was going to be very expensive. I've canceled that corporate event, and that was at least a half payroll. You know, so that money I'm going to try to reclaim so I can use it to carry them more. Things like that, I'm just going to try to cut back. Yeah, yeah. It's all you can do. It's it's just uh, and and tell us a little bit um, how you came up with a decision to close uh, because as we know uh, uh, some have closed some have not. I'm not asking you to judge that. I'm just asking you your own personal um, decision to do it. And and did you just make that decision or was it a collective decision? Uh, tell me how and why uh, you made that decision to go ahead and close your doors at this time. So first of all, New York City is exponentially increasing by the hour. We're most in the country of positive cases. It's going to just escalate from there. Most people come to us through mass transit. All, all banks and all offices around our offices are closed. We do have some people who live in the neighborhood who would walk, but a lot of therapists are coming with mass transit. And while we are deemed necessary workers, we're not life and death in the outpatient setting. I will say on case-by-case -case basis, like we work with a bunch of hand therapists and hand doctors. Tomorrow, we're seeing two post-op patients who have pins coming out of their wrist that we have to make splints for. And so one therapist is going to walk to work with protective gear. She's going to offer the, the therapist the patient protective gear. And she's going to treat those two patients. So on a case by case basis is um, how we're doing it. You know, and, and now you're you're at home and you're kind of uh, just trying to to keep your uh, family out of out of crisis and out of trouble, and uh, and now you have to you know plan for what what's next without having any idea you know what what that plan looks or what the predictability of that is. So how do you 
how do you look at your business and say, okay, what are we going to do um, in two weeks and four weeks and six weeks and eight weeks? I'm allowing people to use their paid time off. Once the paid time off runs out, I have to cross that bridge when we get there. Perhaps we'll be able to open part-time enough to sustain us. This is looking long. It's looking like 10 weeks. I feel confident, though, that as we shift, people are going to become more comfortable with telehealth. Just like my kid's cello teacher and their school is all online, the world itself is shifting right now. So everybody's normal is shifting to a new normal of everything being digital. Perhaps it'll make people more comfortable. Um, we can do a lot with telehealth and education and exercise and neuromuscular. And we're going to try to just teach patients that this is just as good without the manual. But otherwise, you know, we're going to do our best to generate revenue. You asked me how I decided to close. It was a decision. The therapists were giving me their opinions. You know, like a lot of them didn't feel comfortable, didn't feel like it was the prudent thing to do to stay open. They worried that we would sound tone deaf in the community if we stayed open. For two weeks, we decided for two weeks. We left it for the two week. They, first of all, one of our office managers tested positive. So that was a big push. And everybody in that office is obviously concerned. I do believe this is our new normal and we're going to have to function in this way. I think in two weeks time, so April 1st, we're going to probably open half our clinics with half the hours and half the staff. And we'll somehow rotate. That's what I think we're going to do. And and I think it's it's important for the listeners to know too. I mean, uh, you're in the you're in the hot spot. You're in the epicenter. And uh, not only do you have staff, but you know people that have tested positive and are sick. Oh, on two hands, <laughs> on two hands, on two hands. I mean, Westchester was a big hotbed. So many of my friends live in Westchester, in the Jewish community there, and it was just all over one synagogue. Lots of people in my kids' school have tested positive. This is all over. It's not isolated. We live very condensed on top of one another. So everybody's going to be bound to know two or three or four or five people. Yeah. And then going forward, when you uh, reopen with the uh, shorter hours and, and, and smaller staff, uh, you're, are you, can you take any different precautions that, you, um, you, that you've learned about since that you can help protect your staff and your patients better? I think so. I think that the first thing we're going to do is use all our private treatment rooms and treat really one-on-one. -on -one. Um, we're going to separate the waiting room chairs. We won't have anybody waiting in the room. We'll have them directly go into a treatment room and not wait. We won't take cash from anybody. We'll only use credit card on file. So nobody has to touch anything. Probably wear masks when we treat and continue wiping down the way we do. Obviously, it's evolving continuously, but I think that that's how we're going to go about it. And I'll stretch as long as my finances can stretch us. Well, Cynthia, I just uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and kind of share your experience with us and what you're doing. And and uh, again, I, I I admire you for being able to uh, hold on to your staff and, and try and keep them afloat as well, because as you said, they are important and they helped you get to where you uh, where you are today. And so, uh, but there's no easy answers. And, and I think that at the beginning of this, we said, um, you know, it's hard to judge anyone for what they decide to do and what they can and can't do because every situation is different. Everyone's business is a little different. Everyone's financial situation is different. And so it, it, it's hard to know exactly mm -hmm. what to do. You just have to do what you feel is right and, and lead forward. And, and it's fluid, right? It's consistently changing. Every day we get more information. Yeah. Thank you for your support, Steve. I appreciate it.
Well, you're more than welcome and hang in there and, and, um, <laughs> Thank you. you know, uh, I'm sure you're going to pull out on the other side cause you've, uh, you've shown great leadership and you have the right attitude. So congratulations to your you. mouth to God's ears. Thank you. <laughs> Stay well. Oh, you too. Next up, we have Dan Anderson, who is a physical therapist in a retirement community. And that is a population that is the most at risk. And just knowing that um, if that virus gets in that facility, how devastating it could be. The amount of stress and tension that those workers feel and, 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 and all that they're trying to do to protect those that they uh, work for and, and get to know and, and love is just um, mind-boggling. So let's talk to Dan and see what he says from his perspective. And now let's welcome to our program Dan Anderson, who's a doctor of physical therapy in uh, Issaquah, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle and right in the epicenter of this uh, this uh, pandemic that we're in. And and Dan uh, Dan's also my son, um, uh, so I just thought he would be really good to talk to and hear his ideas on leadership. He works in a, um, a retirement community. So Dan, why don't you explain to us a little bit about how that community is made up and how many people are involved and what your role is in that community. I work in a retirement community. Uh, we have everything from uh, independent living to um, assisted living, memory care, and skilled nursing. And uh, I run the rehab department. So we do physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech. And uh, we do that in all uh, four of those settings. So um, we have an outpatient clinic in our independent living, and then we do the therapy for our skilled nursing, assisted living, and memory care as well. And how many residents are part of that community, Dan? The last I heard, we're around 500, somewhere in that range. Okay. Total residents, yeah. And being, uh, you know, everyone's heard the news, and this whole thing kind of started in this country in a long-term care facility in another suburb of Seattle, um, which I know freaked you and your colleagues out, you know, in, in, in that facility, like, oh my gosh, if this thing gets into our community, you know, what can we do? So, uh, just tell me some things from a leadership perspective that, that you've seen done at your facility and that you've done yourself to try and, uh, protect these residents that you've, you know, that you work with every day and, and you know, and love. The whole country kind of seemed like they kind of eased into this. You know, um, didn't know how scared to be or what to do. And then it slowly and then apparently, very apparently became something that, you know, was something we very aggressively need to address. And, you know, the way it entered into our mind and our facility and our residents' mind and our staff is uh, very abruptly just because it was uh, very apparent how damaging it could be to a facility like ours uh, very early on and so we got we hit 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 it hard quick and had to make some really big tough decisions uh, very quickly and uh, it seemed like for us a lot of the decisions we made were then then being made by the state and then essentially uh, from the, at the national level after we had already implemented a lot of those things. Yeah, so from a leadership perspective, you actually had to move without guidance, without the CDC guidelines and all this other stuff. Yeah. You just had to make your decisions and go. 
And, um, and even to the point where, I mean, even staff, um, you're kind of on a lockdown situation at the community and, and staff has to have their temperature taken to come into the building and tell us a little bit about the restrictions that, that are going on there. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we started doing that, um, Gosh, it's been over a week now, but taking temperature of all staff members and all residents uh, that are getting any terms of therapy. Um, and now that is being done at all facilities like ours across the nation. So, uh, you know, it's interesting from a leadership perspective. It's, you know, I mean, I, I definitely, I think as leaders in different positions, especially if you're in a leadership role, um, I think sometimes you feel like you're kind of reaching out for uh, you're you're trying to get people to uh, pay attention to you and listen to you and talk to you. And when something like this happens, it's it's uh, amazing to see what leaders do when all the eyes go straight to them and say, "Hey, we need you, and we need you right now." And I think that there's been some just excellent examples of that within my facility. That's where it's it's pretty cool to see. Um, leaders uh, that may have been quiet in the past and had kind of led from a, uh, a different area to then all of a sudden be front and center and taking charge. And So in a crisis, they're asked to or looked on to step up and, and lead in a maybe more aggressive or a more direct way than they're used to doing, but um, needed to be done because there wasn't time to go through a process. Things just had to move and move quick. Yeah, I mean, it kind of... Uh, it kind of gets rid of all the fluff. It gets rid of all the stuff that doesn't matter, you know, and you really start to um, look towards uh, your leaders to, to make decisions. And I think that everyone in that, in, in a facility like ours, you know, has different people that they look up to. And I definitely had the people that I was looking up to and there's people that are looking to me for answers. And, um, and it, it's, it's tough when you don't have, real concrete specific guidelines or protocols or for something of this manner. Yeah. Just got to go with your gut and, and, um, and know that you've, you, you know, people are waiting for you to make decisions and, and are watching you do it. How, how's your staff, uh, that you work directly with, um, how are they doing? Are they, um, are, are they stepping up? Are they fearful? Or are they, um, share with us a little bit about how your staff is doing with all this in general, it's just, it's really been a, a focus on what do we need as a team to help our residents in the best way possible. And that's, and I've really, it's, it's been fun to see when sometimes I think you're, when you're in charge of a group of people, you're kind of questioning, hey, are we a tight knit group? Are we, do we have that good teamwork? Are we, you know, have I done a good job and put them in place? And then here, when something like this happens, you you know immediately um, how your team operates. And when they start to, I was listening to a Navy SEAL talk about this, but he was talking about in the Navy SEALs, it's all about we and never about me. And I think that's what um, my team has done great. And I've seen many other teams within our facility. It's just kind of like, hey, we we're in this together. What can we do? And share with us some specific things without names, uh, but, you know, specific things that you've seen in your facility in a time of real crisis. I know that you personally uh, aren't just the uh, physical therapy director. I mean, you're in that facility doing all kinds of things that need to be done for those residents. 
Uh, and so you join a bigger team and do things that aren't necessarily on your job description. And then there's others that are stepping up and doing things as well. So do you have any specific examples that you can share with us? I mean, in in a time like this, when we're dealing with all this, our, our job descriptions and our job titles and what we choose, you know, what we have done in the past, it definitely starts to blur the lines and you just kind of step up. And, you know, I mean, every single person, staff and resident in that facility is a janitor today. I mean, we are cleaning, we are, you know, so there's, you definitely you're used those lines of like who does what and 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 that tends to blur a little bit in this time you just kind of do what's needed but examples that i have are um are what i what i see is when um when we get together as a group seeing uh um people all the way from administrator of our building to you know, um, other people within our facility to food and beverage to housekeeping to all of these things of, of people ste- stepping up and speaking words of encouragement and, you know, sharing um, stories of uh, just staff members going above and beyond and doing things. I, I think just in those in those meetings that, you know, we've ramped up, we have a lot of meetings every day to deal with this to make sure we're all on the same page, but just hearing really seeing and hearing leaders from all levels in that building is pretty cool to see and then the other thing is just walking around the settings that i'm at when i'm sitting in my outpatient or sitting up in our skilled nursing and things like that just hearing the conversations that um, staff members are having with residents and even residents having with other residents and staff members having with other staff members and how um, they're all just working together in these little small conversations to make sure that we're calm, collected, and making sound judges, sound decisions as a, as a group. In this weird way, it's, it's so great to see a group of 500 residents and however many staff come together, you know, and just, you know, there, it's, what I what I see is really powerful leadership is just in these small one to one conversations or you know three people in a corner trying to figure out what to do with this specific case or you know can can you share with us or try to to describe in some way I mean the fear that you and your colleagues must have and the stress relating to that knowing that if this gets in your four walls it's going to be a disaster. It, it just must be really, really tough to deal with that day after day. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for us and I, you know, I'm a physical therapist, not an infection control nurse, but from what I gather is that it's really scary if it gets into our skilled nursing facility and that's where our most at risk residents are living. So I think, you know, there's a, there's something to be said about kind of like having a busy mind it, when you're really busy and task oriented, you don't have enough time to sit around and worry. And so I think when you're there and working and actively doing everything you can and working with staff and residents and trying to continue therapy and continuing to relay communication and present calm, I think that the busy mind just kind of keeps you going and you don't think about it all that much. I think where it's when you get home. And you just kind of sit down and take a big deep breath is when you start to realize that just underlying level of stress that we know everyone is dealing with. Yeah, it's just uh, 
it's not something to take lightly. It's just uh, a real, it's just really tough. And I think in your facility too, um, you know, you have had a couple of confirmed cases, uh, a staff member in the building and an uh, independent resident. So it's not like it, it's, you're, you're totally, um, have kept it out, but to date, uh, you're doing okay, and it sounds like all the things that you're having meetings about and and stressing about are paying off. Yeah, I mean, it's when it when it gets to where it has where it has and what it, what is happening in our you know community and in this state, and you cannot eliminate exposure. So everything we do is about limiting, and I think that's what you're seeing at the state and national level as well. Is anyone who can limit their exposure and limit what they're doing on a daily basis that could potentially cause this infection to spread, you know, making sure that you're making those decisions because you know that there's, you know, literally, there's literally nothing you can do in a building like ours to just completely eliminate the risk. I mean, it is there. It'll always, it will be there. And so it's all about taking measures to limit that risk. Right. And you don't have the luxury of deciding that, oh, well, you know, maybe there is too much risk, so we'll close our doors. You can't close your doors. Yeah. You you have to be there for those people. They depend on you for their lives and their well-being. And, and so you got to you got to keep going whether you, 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 you want to or not. Yeah. And keeping food and beverage going, keeping housekeeping going, keep it, you know, there's a lot, a lot of areas within that facility that keeps it going and living and breathing every day and so those things have to continue so how how do you do how are you doing with looking towards the future i mean nobody can predict anything it's just you know we've heard everything from two weeks to two months to six months to nine months you know it's just on and on so how do you plan for uh for the unknown future yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think we are, you know, it, where I'm at in my position, I'm leaning a lot on, on my director of nursing and our administration administrator, and then our high, higher up administration and within the facility, and so we're. I'm definitely leaning on them, but you know, the big message that they're pushing out is don't make a decision for tomorrow that you can't do two weeks from now because we really have to figure that every decision we're making has to be a sustainable one. It can't just be do this for two weeks and we'll, because the reality is, I mean, it's very unlikely we're going to be feeling a lot better about this situation, you know, two, three, four weeks from now. So it's try making sure that we're making decisions that uh, we can sustain and keep up. And part of that has to do with our own health and making sure that we're not uh, burning a candle from both ends so that, you know, all of our, uh, leaders in the building crashed at the same time that, that wouldn't do any good so you know just making sure that we're uh sharing the load in a way that can be sustainable and keep it going yeah i, I think it's really great advice and i look at it generally i mean that's a long-term strategy and i love how you put that as far as you know don't create a protocol or don't do something that you can't sustain uh, because that's that's a short-term decision. You need to look at this long-term, and I think in leadership and business in general, you need to look at things long-term. So I think that's good advice that we could uh, all all learn from. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and you're seeing this in the national coverage and stuff too, is, uh, you know, we're learning a lot from this, and I think that um, our facility will um, 
forever be changed because of this. Um, and we are going to do things completely different for the rest of uh, our existence in this facility because there were, you know, there were things that uh, were not, you know, up to par for handling something like this. So it's interesting. So Dan, when you get up in the morning and head off to the facility, what's your biggest challenge? It's a good question. I think uh, for me and my little world within my facility is really my staff. And I know that my staff has more touch points to residents and other staff members and people in that within that facility uh, way more than I ever will myself. And so making sure that my staff is in a, in a place to handle those conversations and, and touch points within the facility as, as best as possible. And I think that, so that, that's kind of, that tends to be my focus is just making sure that my, my staff has that. And then beyond that, I just want to make sure that I'm doing what I can for the people that, in my opinion, are handling this on a much higher stress level than anything I'm doing. And so just making sure that I'm there for them and, and not waiting for them to not waiting for them to ask for help because they're, they don't even, they're handling so many things. They don't even know what they need to help and just stepping up and doing things. And, um, you know, just making sure that they, they know that, um, they've got me if they need it. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's, it's a great lesson in the sense that there's a lot of different layers there. So your staff looks to you for leadership and, and then you're looking to the administration for leadership. And when it comes down to it, you're just talking about a team. And when the team all um, has the same goal and, and works together and, and looks to, uh, like you said, just help where needed, um, you know, then, then things can happen in a real positive way. And so it sounds like uh, everyone in your facility is doing that, which is, is why you've had success with, with, you know, con with keeping your residents healthy. And um, I guess the question is, how long can you do it and how long can you sustain it? And uh, just by talking about it, as you described earlier, I think that helps a lot and gives it a good chance that that uh, you can continue on and, and do what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I think um, one of the things that from just from a leadership standpoint within the facility and something that has been shared and, and communicated, I think, in a positive way is also just not living and dying by the success of do we you know have a confirmed case or do we have do we have have we kept it sustained to this or do because the truth of the matter is is we're going to do everything we possibly can and we might do everything we can and it might not be enough and so if you live and die by that hey we we have to keep it out of our skilled nursing then if God forbid something happens and we do get that positive case in that skilled nursing, then it, it will just crush the staff and we can't have that. That's when we need them the most. And so it's kind of that, you know, defining your success based on what, what you feel, what your staff feel and what your, re what the residents feel and, and dealing with it on a day to day instead of. It's a great point because what you're saying in a, in a sense, too, is that it can't be just about the the one point of an outcome. It's got to be about a process. It's got to be about you know doing things the, the best you can. Yeah, it, it's 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 not a all or none proposition at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, and you you know you kind of celebrate the successes and 
Um, you know, that's another thing that our facility has done well. And I think is they when they come in, uh, oftentimes they'll read a letter from a family member uh, that uh, you know our administrator received, just thanking thanking us for caring for their family in this time, and you know, just taking those those small moments and remembering to even even when you feel like all that matters is the task at hand. You still have to make sure that you're showing that positivity. Absolutely. Well, Dan, you're certainly on the front lines every day. And um, I know that uh, it's been a tough few weeks and unfortunately you probably got a few more ahead of you too. So hang in there. Thanks for sharing uh, some ideas with us and uh, keep the team together. We need you. Yeah, absolutely. I I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for chatting with me. Next up, we have Gus Hauser. Imagine telling an entire company that you have to close your doors across an entire state of Kentucky. Uh, it's just uh, really, really seems like an impossible situation, but it's exactly what Gus had to do. Their CEO had to write the gut-wrenching uh, message to the employees that they were going to shut their doors last Friday at 5 p.m. So let's talk to Gus and, and hear um, what they all went through and that really tough decision. I'd like to welcome to the program now Gus Hauser, who is um, uh, the COO of PT Pros, which is a company uh, in Kentucky, and uh, they've had to make some tough decisions this last week as well. So, Gus, welcome to the program. Hey, Steve. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, I guess we'll cut right to the point. Uh, you've made the decision to close, and you've closed your clinics and closed your company, and uh, gosh, I can only imagine how hard that must have been. And um, What's the situation you're in now to deal with? Stressful to say the least, that's for certain. Um, our leadership team um, has spent many hours on conference calls and seeking out other colleagues in the profession to, to finally come to this decision. Ultimately, um, the decision was made for us through uh, Governor Bashir, Andy Bashir, who's our governor in Kentucky, who uh, we were mandated to close as of Friday. So uh, we closed this past Friday at 5 p.m. And uh, we've been doing our very best to take all the necessary steps to, you know, inform our patients and take care of our entire team at PT Pros and, uh, and all of our staff there. So it's, it's, been, it's been a blur, to say the least. <laughs> and you have how many clinics and how many employees? We have uh, 11 uh, clinics throughout the state of Kentucky, and we actually just opened our 11th clinic uh, about two and a half weeks ago, and we have a hundred, uh, about 120 team members. So yeah, gosh, that's uh, that's a lot of disrupted lives, that's for sure. So tell me about uh, you know because there's stuff that's come out recently from Homeland Security and and other places that are saying well. You know, physical therapy or healthcare in general is an is an essential service that's required. Uh, tell us what uh, Governor Brashears uh, uh, decided, and I know that you were in contact with his office a lot before you made your decision. So, um, what what what's what's going on in Kentucky that that he felt that uh, you should all close? Um, as of Thursday, Thursday evening, uh, Governor Bashir and his staff, and we're fortunate to have some contacts there who have kept us uh, up to speed as, as things come down the pipeline. But uh, as of Thursday evening, uh, they determined uh, that within the state of Kentucky that outpatient services for PT 
and OT would uh, would cease as of Friday. Um, uh, it was a tough pill for us to swallow, obviously, at PT Pros, as well as a lot of our other colleagues in the state who we've been in communication with. But um, once that decision was made, that's when we began to we had already been preparing for it, but that's when we began to share, obviously, that information with our staff and uh, through social media with uh, all our followers and, and, and obviously with our patients through constant contact emails and calls and whatnot. But we had gradually begun to see a slow decline in, in visits and, uh, and also uh, in cancellations, an increase in cancellations. So, um, it was trending that way, but we for sure would have stayed open had this not happened. But uh, we think it's in the best interest, obviously, of our patients and our staff. We trust the governor and we trust his team. And we hope uh, hope to have the doors back open sooner than later. But I guess time will tell for all of us. Yeah. And so do you does it how does that work in the sense? I mean, just everyone's done working and it's stopped or did you keep on a skeleton crew? What do, what do you do to at least keep the business somewhat viable uh, for a potential reopen? Um, you know, our, our leadership team, who are very fortunate to have a, a crew of, of team members who have a, a large variety of opinions, but we do a great job as a team to come together with a unified decision. And um, through this process, we all decided who were the essential staff members to keep on board um, through these dire straits. And, uh, so we, we did keep our, you know, our director of billing and collections, our HR director, uh, and someone also in place to handle the telecommunications for all 11 of our clinics. So that was really our skeleton crew that, that is in place now. Um, I'll be there obviously tomorrow morning with them. Um, but we'll just monitor um, things to see if we need to grow that crew or if that's enough to sustain us for, um, you know, the coming week. But time will tell. I mean, it's fluid. This, if, I guess if anything, this has taught us all to live in the present and realize um, how fragile things are and, and that this whole situation is fluid, to say the least. So uh, we do have a skeleton crew in place. We're thankful that they were willing to come in and help man certain parts of the company through through this time. And as a leader, you have to communicate that dire news to 125 people. So uh, uh, how did you do it and, and how did they take it? You know, our, our CEO, Connie, um, led a discussion with our group of about, we had a 12-member um, conference call. Uh, we had everyone from legal counsel to HR to our IT director as we begin and are implementing telehealth. Uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, she she did a great job of of really pushing us through this hard time. And, and we um, just celebrated our 40th anniversary with PT Pros, uh, 1980. Uh, we were established in, in Barberville, Kentucky, and then we've grown from there. But Connie, during our leadership meeting, uh, reminded us that the company's been through tough times in the past, uh, times that are uh, that have been very different than what we're currently going through. But it was a good reminder to our team that, um, you know, 
the reasons that PT Pros has to sustain the success it has the past 40 years is we've been able to power through times like this. And, and that's credit to a lot of incredible people that are a part of this team and many of those who are still here. Um, and through, through that conversation, we shared that message um, with all of our staffs. We called all of our directors um, and then we sent an email out to the rest of the team members. Um, our HR director did a very nice job in communicating details of how this would look moving forward, but uh, without a doubt, um, extremely uh, heartbreaking news to, to share. And um, of course, the last thing we, any of us wanted to want to do is be in this predicament. So um, it was a hard time for sure, but again, grateful for our team that came together and, and unified um, during this time to, uh, just really do what's in the best interest of our entire our entire company. And from and I know that it's so hard to predict. This is so uncharted territory. Plus, most people agree that this is not going to be a short term thing. This is going to go out over the next you know uh, weeks, if not months, and maybe even longer. What's your hope as far as um, would you open back up at least at kind of a part time basis? in the near future or are you just gonna stay closed for, for until uh, for how long i guess is, is do you have any idea what you're gonna do yeah uh good question i you know as we continue to to talk through different potential scenarios um there is a, a possibility that we in kentucky could open back sooner than later uh it may be a distant possibility but there's been some communication from the governor's office where where outpatient pt would be ruled uh essential um, essential treatment. services right so, yes yeah, so that in that scenario we we would you know open back up on on uh, you know just building off our skeleton crew and um, seeing how volume looks over the course of the you know the first few days or weeks but um as you said, it's it's hard to tell what this may look like moving forward, but we hope that's a scenario, but it, it's just too hard to determine, obviously, at this point. And then what do you do and your other executives um, during this time, you know, that, that you're closed? I mean, do you, does everyone just take some time off and wait for a few weeks and come back, or, or are you continuing to meet and plan? What's... Uh, which... Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a, a unique time for all of us to take advantage of, of being quarantined with our families. Um, I think it's it's a perspective check on that for sure. But um, our leadership team continues to schedule calls to um, to bounce ideas off of each other. Obviously, to see how these potential scenarios may play out, and to also you know use this as a time to think outside the box and to, to think what might on the flip side of this, make our company um, better and stronger for these tough circumstances. So we continue to communicate. Uh, we also continue to communicate with all our team members through emails. Uh, we sent one out last night from the leadership team, just as a reminder to keep their families and their health priority during this time and that we would keep them abreast of anything that we heard through uh, Governor Bashir's office. Yeah, well, I'm sure that it takes you down to 
the basics and uh, realize what is important. I know you have two precious little girls, and uh, so um, uh, you probably look at them in an in a even more loving, different way than before. It's just like, wow, what's important? That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, seeing their carefree uh, attitude through this time is a, is is refreshing, but uh, it also reminds you just how how we need to value every moment that we have, and uh, it really puts priorities in place. That's for sure. Well, Gus, I appreciate uh, you uh, giving us your uh, insight here, and and uh, you've had to deal with so much, and gosh, it's it's just really hard to. Um, for a lot of people to imagine, not only is it a tough decision for you yourself personally, but you know you have 125 people and 125 families that 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 are affected by these really tough decisions. Yet you you can only do what you can do. So it sounds like you handled it uh, well. I got your team on board, and it was the right decision. And uh, now we just have to move forward and see how you can get it started back up again when it's appropriate. I appreciate you saying that, Steve, and, and you know, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to all of our team and, and the other private practices that are in similar situations, and, um, you know, one of the things you've taught me through the years is just the importance of collaboration, and there's no better time than now, I think, for all of us to come together and help each other, so uh, the podcast, I know, will hopefully be helpful to many. I look forward to hearing what others have to share and uh we're we're definitely open on this end if anyone wanted to to contact me uh, they were more than welcome to uh, be happy to uh, share anything else that we've done well thanks gus uh you're a great leader and uh keep doing what you can and uh, i'm sure you'll be back um, with a, a great company in pt pros and maybe start out a little different than you thought in 2020 but uh You'll be back, and uh, the residents of Kentucky will be happy for that. Thank you, Steve. Take care. You too. Next up is Teresa Marco. She's a physical therapist from New York City and a solo practitioner. She describes what it's like to be in a city that's it's just hard to get away from people, quite frankly, and how do you social distance when you have people everywhere. So we'll hear what decision she made relating to her business and how she's trying to support her community now that she has stopped working. I'd like to welcome Teresa Marco to our uh, program as well, and she is a private practitioner, physical therapist in New York City, and she's made that tough decision to, to close her clinic. So, uh, Teresa, welcome to the program, and, and maybe you could just tell us what drove your decision uh, to close the, the clinic uh, that, that, you, uh, that, that you own and operate. I just want to say thanks for having me on. I've listened to all of your podcasts and have gained valuable information from them. Uh, Why, thank you. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I live here in uh, New York State. I live in Brooklyn. My practice is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, right in the heart of the current storm. And this past week, I decided to close uh, my doors. I do have a good amount of Medicare clients, so people over the age of 65. I also have children uh, that come at, like after school hours. I have anywhere from right now I have a four-year-old on my caseload up until teenagers, and then I have working professionals, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. So I have the whole gamut of age ranges. And I actually, I'm a solopreneur. I sub 
uh, lease my office space, which is inside of a private personal training gym. So there are quite a few people kind of coming in and out of the gym and then my own private office. You know, I'm the one that kind of disinfects and cleans that. As the rules kept getting and tighter here they rec uh, the governor Cuomo he recommended that all gyms shut and that was last this past Tuesday so the owner of the gym did close the gym but I had previously decided before that happened that I thought I should not go into the office just because so many of my patients are over the age of 65 and then also last week you know, I was just watching the numbers. I did have a little bit of a sore throat, so I was concerned also. Um, but I had also kind of, you know, masterminded with a whole bunch of other clinicians in the city, wrote emails and asked everybody their opinion. And everybody collectively, we were all pretty much on the same page that we just think because of the density of New York City, it's so many people, you can't kind of get away from people. I mean, even here in Brooklyn, where I live, I have a French bulldog who I walk on the streets. It is hard to maintain six feet away from someone. Um, so yeah. I just felt it was difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just, uh, you know, people that don't live in New York City, I mean, most of us have visited at some point, but uh, yeah, the density is just is just there. I mean, even like uh, getting your, your the services that you need to survive uh, uh, can't be easy. Yeah, and so, you know, like many parts of the country, I saw as it got worse and worse, hand sanitizer, not available, can't get it, not on Amazon, not, you know, in any of the stores. I went to several stores two weeks ago to try to find it. Couldn't find it anywhere. Can't find wipes. So, you know, one of the things that they talk about in the CDC and keeping offices open and things like that is you have to be able to protect the people who are coming in to see you by being able to disinfect properly and things like that. You know, there are no masks to be found. I'm not even sure if people can get gloves at this point. I did happen to buy a you know package of gloves two weeks ago, so I have some gloves now. But it's just I didn't feel like I was equipped to, you know, follow CDC standards. And, at, you know, that point, it was a hard point. I love my patients. My patients love coming in. But I didn't really have anybody on my caseload who was post-op or anybody that was, you know, severely acute back pain or anything like that. Everybody else was like, well, my knee's been hurting, but it's been hurting now for the month. You know, I'm doing my exercises. I'm getting better. So I felt pretty okay with everybody kind of just being on their own for a little bit. Yeah. And you also uh, shared with me earlier that, uh, so you commute to work, uh, yeah. on public transit and, and, uh, you're shopping in your neighborhood, uh, grocery store and it just kind of hits you. Oh my gosh. Look, yeah. look at what's going on. Tell so, us that story. Yeah. So last week when I went into the office, um, I was on the subway thing, you know, harder and more strict here. And my commute from where I live to my office is about an hour. And that whole hour, I kind of sat in the corner of a car. I went to the very last car, you know, trying to avoid people. I sat in the very corner and I felt scared. Definitely. I felt scared to touch the poles, the doors. You start looking at people and objects in a really different light and realizing, oh my goodness, you know, I could be getting this anywhere. Uh, so that, that was a bit scary. So this week when it became Monday, the idea of riding the subway did feel very, you know, scary to me. And then that morning I had gone to the grocery store to pick up some things before the grocery store got even more run, run out of things. And I, you know, the grocery store is so crowded. It's not spacious the way it is where, you know, I'm from 
originally the suburbs of Massachusetts. The grocery stores there, you know, I'm like, wow, every time I go in, the aisles are so big and there's so many things and you can push your car around. I mean, the grocery store is here. There are no carts. We don't push carts around. You carry a bag and put things in the bag because that's how tight the space is. And so when I was in the grocery store, you could tell everyone was really trying to stay away from each other and people were freaked out and my just primal nature instinct was oh my goodness get away from me and so I just had to grapple with that and I came home and sat here on that Monday morning and just said you know if this is how I'm deeply feeling as a human inside I just don't think this is a good idea I said let's just you know close down for a little bit try to let this you know pass flatten the curve getting scary yeah, yeah, that's just that's crazy. I mean, it's and it's hard, and and you are a sole practitioner, so uh, your decision um, basically affects you. But having said that, you know now you're not. Uh, there's no revenue coming in the door, and I'm sure you have personal expenses and things like that. Uh, um, how, how do you how do you how do you deal with it? How do you look towards the future and say, how am I going to get through this? Uh, well, at first, you know, it felt very isolating and scary, but then I realized all of my friends and colleagues, we're all going through this. So I've been sending emails back and forth. We're doing, you know, phone calls. Uh, you know, my human connection to my colleagues is more than ever. We're now texting and emailing and doing Zoom and, you know, just communicating and I guess not feeling alone is how I'm getting through it and just knowing that we're all in the same boat this earlier this week I spent pretty much all day Monday and Tuesday trying to set up some telehealth on my website that was on my to-do list of something I wanted to do for the business anyways for the past year but my own sheer laziness never brought me to do it so this pushed me to that tipping point of hey I got to figure this out so you know I've read tons of blogs I've been to town halls Facebook lives I'm reading all the stuff that APTA is putting out and PPS and the New York Physical Therapy Association. So I, I was able to set that up. Um, you know, now we just have to figure out the, the billing part of it and the insurance. Uh, you know, in New York, even though we have parity, the insurances say that they're not going to pay for it. So this morning, one of the things I did for advocacy was APTA put out a letter and I emailed it to Governor Cuomo. I emailed it to my representatives. I emailed it to the Center of Medicaid Services here. We have parity, yet the insurance companies aren't paying people for this telehealth service. So that being said, I did do my first telehealth yesterday with a client that I know, you know, just I did it um, uh, no fee, just, you know, sort of as a trial. And it was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. You know, after a while, it just kind of felt like we were in the same room together doing, doing some exercises. So, well, strange, uh, strange times uh, force us to do things that maybe we didn't uh, think uh, would work as well. But having forced yeah. to do it, I'm sure you're going to learn some things and, and you might find that uh, it, it's a very valid uh, source of treatment and and hopefully um, yeah third party payers and others will see the value in that and and help um, you know create something at least somewhat new and different in the PT world. I know there's been some telehealth going on, but uh, uh, yeah. very small. Everybody talks about it, but very few are doing it. I think. Yeah, I hope that we can change the laws. I hope that legislatively people uh, will see that this is important and needed. Sure. And I know you as a go-getter, so I, I would assume that you're not just going to laze around on the couch until this is over. So <laughs> what role can you play now as a member of your community? So uh, you are correct. I'm not laying on the couch. I feel so busy. Uh, I'm more busy, I feel, than I've ever been. I am also part of the New York City Medical Reserve Corps. I have been now for several years. And 
So I get uh, emails from the Department of Health on all the statistics of what's going on, and they have now called up the Medical Reserve Corps to be part of the surge staffing. So that's on my to-do list today or tomorrow to, like, figure that out. I think I forgot my login or something, so I have to <laughs> call tech support. But figure that out and see if, you know, there's something that we can do to help assist the, the medical staff uh, here in New York City. I know that they're building new hospitals. You know, they're going to make the Javits Center. So... You know, just trying to help any way I can, you know, collaborate possibly with some other providers here in New York City and see what we can do just to try to get this thing to go away. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Well, it seems like it's going to uh, uh, be longer than we uh, uh, than any of us are ready for, that's for sure. So it's just uh, it's just really interesting to, to see how different people approach it. And I can sense your optimistic attitude and, and that you're going to get through it and and you'll find ways to make it work. So I commend you for that. But it's, uh, uh, gosh, it's just when you look at somebody that has to make that tough a decision, I just think it, it does show uh, leadership and it, it does show courage to make a decision that uh, that you think is going to help your community more than if you didn't make it. So that's uh, I commend you for making that. Well, uh, Teresa, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. And uh, uh, hang in there. Um, I wish I could say something that would uh, make you feel better and give you the silver bullet, but it's just not there. So... Um, you know, times will uh, move on and hopefully we'll learn a lot from this, um, uh, th- this process we're going through. And uh, so uh, do, do the best you can and stay in touch. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Next up on our program is Al D'Agostino. Have you ever heard of a crisis management executive? Well, that's what Al does. And now more than ever, people sure need someone like Al. He discusses what he does for companies and and how he helps them through these really tough decisions in a crisis. And who do people really trust when the information they need should be factual and help them base their tough decisions personally? And now I'd like to welcome to the program Al D'Agostino, who is the Senior Vice President and Bay Area Group Head for Crisis and Risk Management for Edelman. Hey, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I'd just like to uh, pick your brain a little bit. Um, I've been talking to mostly physical therapists on this program about their businesses and how some have had to close, some have obviously had to reduce staff and make some really tough decisions, and we're all in this very uncharted territory that that no one's been in before. And so uh, your role, from what I understand in crisis management, is to help leaders decide what they should do, how they should communicate with their people, how to, you know, kind of... uh, uh, navigate this this future that we know nothing about. So I'm sure that your job is not easy right now. So Al, just kind of tell us uh, from your perspective uh, what came into your office a few months ago and uh, how you've been dealing with it. Sure. Um, well, we've been kind of on the forefront of, of dealing with COVID-19 for a few months. Um, that's mainly because early on, um, you know, at Edelman, we advise a number of of large global clients, um, and inherently, you know, if you're a big global business right now, uh, you're probably selling your products or services in some way, shape, or form in China, or you're producing or manufacturing in China. So early on when this issue came up, um, naturally there was a concern with, you know, are we going to have to close close down production, limit production? Um, is this impacting um, our workforce in their workplace? And then ultimately, um, since it is such a financial hub, how is it impacting our earnings and how are we going to communicate that to the street? 
that was what we were seeing um, really towards the end of the calendar year coming into early year. Um, so it wasn't necessarily something that everyone was necessarily dealing with uh, right in front of the, right in front of their faces. Um, however, over the past few weeks, um, once you started to see uh, patient cases and confirmations coming up in the U.S., concern was rising, and that's when you started to think through these businesses were saying, well, operationally, we need a scenario plan right now. What do we, what if we have to do things here that we were doing in, in China? Do we have to um, close down our workforce? Do we have to do work from home measures? What if production or, or supply chains get impacted here? And so we've been working with clients um, mainly to um, help them figure out how they are going to talk to all of their stakeholders, um, primarily employees, um, but also your customers, also your vendors and partners. I think over the past month or so, we've all probably gotten um, emails from everything from, um, you know, the, the local pizza shop that's telling us how they're, how they're operating during this time, if they're doing takeout or something, or even, you know, um, the store we might have shopped at once on a holiday season buying a gift for our spouse. You know, two years ago, they somehow still have our email addresses and they told us what they're doing. Um, so everyone in some way, shape or form is communicating about it right now because it's impacting so many things. It's how they can employ people, how they can stay open and continue to do business, and what they see as um, in their operating rhythm for the next few months, and how do we reassure folks about that. And naturally, there's nuance to all of that, and we've been working with clients to help them be able to speak to all those particular things. Yeah, and I should also say that uh, you're greatly affected, too. You're living in the Bay Area, which means you're in... Um uh, what, what do they call it? Shelter? Yes, we are, we are sheltering in place. We were, um, shelter think, in place, yeah, right. I think we were the first, um, large city to go into that measure. Well, let's start at your end and then kind of work out more globally. But so you personally at Edelman, you're working from home. Yes. And, uh, so is it a situation where, uh, being in crisis management, are you busier than ever before? Are clients um, ramping up their use of you or whatever? Or are they saying, um, we don't have the money to do this anymore. Um, you know, we'll be back to you later. I mean, what, how does that affect your, your personal uh, Edelman's business? That's a great question. Um, right now, in the initial outset, we're busier than we've ever been before. We're dealing with every single one of our clients um, that we've had relationships with and been working with um, for some time, they're hit by this issue in some way, shape, or form. And then you have all the other organizations who realize, hey, we're dealing with this crisis. We need someone to advise us on how we're going to be able to communicate to all these stakeholders. They're then coming to, you know, folks like me and, and I'm sure other, you know, communications consultants. Um, so it's a combination of all of our current, all of our existing clients needing help in this area, as well as a bunch of new organizations then needing help in this area. So we're very busy. However, to your point and your question, um, I think all of us recognize that this could, this issue could be a really uh, long runway. Um, and as companies are being impacted and they're feeling that financially, um, who knows uh, how they'll be, what position they'll be in, um, you know, a month or so down the road, if they'll be able to afford that sort of, um, you know, third-party consultant. But in any scenario, we're helping them put in, you know, measures and guardrails that they can carry through with them, whether, you know, we're in the trenches with them day in, day out, or um, we're empowering them to continue this sort of approach uh, for the long term. Yeah, and if you look at, uh, from what I've seen, when the statistics are that 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck or can't handle, um, you know, a missed payroll, so to speak, uh, and now you've got this this crisis, you've got all these companies with all these employees, 
what are you advising them or what are you helping with their message to their employees having absolutely no idea how long this is going to go on or, or how long they can sustain um, you know their workforce what to, what's the message and how do you how do you tell people that you don't know well at Edelman we actually do this really interesting annual study called the trust barometer um, that measures trust in organizations by you know a global uh, population. Recently, we did um, also do a special report of that trust barometer that focused on COVID-19 specifically because we wanted to analyze who folks are looking to as a trusted source of information and how are they, uh, how can we apply that those learnings to our clients. And what we saw was um, at a global representation, um, individuals think the most credible source of information is their employer right now. Um, and the most relied upon information, though, is mainstream news. So what that is is telling us a couple of things. We know everyone's constantly updating their browsers, you know, looking at the CNN feeds, that sort of thing. However, they don't know how to discern, you know, what do I apply to my real life? They're looking to their employer to be able to tell them this is what, you know, you should be doing if it's working from home, if it's what the future of your workday will look like, if there's a financial impact. Um so ultimately, it's recognizing your place in that kind of trust spectrum. Not many, not all companies are going to be able to, um, you know, continue to operate as they have been um, status quo. Some will have to make some really tough decisions. It doesn't come down to, um, you know, right or wrong in that tough decision. It comes down to the context and the credibility that you can give your staff. Are you, trans are you communicating with them frequently in a transparent manner? Are you giving them the context of why you might have to be making a tough decision or why you might have to change your daily operations and not communicating something to them that could be misinterpreted or misunderstood because you're not providing the rationale or the vision um, or the context to help them understand why things are happening or why things are changing and what they can do um, to you know, uh, protect their own kind of integrity for the long term. Yeah, that's just uh, that's really interesting because... Um... Is that different than say five or ten years ago that that people look at their uh, the CEO or their the administration of their company as the most trusted source of information? Uh, is that a new phenomenon? Do you think, or has it been that way forever? So no, it's it's something that's changed a lot over the past few years, and we've done we've done our study on trust for the past twenty years, and you can see how things have changed around key moments in our history, uh, like when the financial crisis in 2008 happened. Um, recently with, you know, um, the Trump administration, how um, government officials and trust in them have changed a bit. Uh, the rise of the fake news phenomenon, how media went down in trust, um, and experts and, and people like yourselves became more trusted, you know, folks you're talking to in your social uh, network feeds. But what, you know, this special report we did on, on COVID-19 has been so interesting because it's helped us advise clients on the need to communicate frequently to ensure that they're aware of their responsibility and being able to communicate to all their employees and also how they're expected to step up and play a role in their community at large. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So, you know, when you give a message to people, you know, it's most people want to know the truth. They want to hear the authentic, uh, you know, prediction of what's going to happen. And uh, but yet there's just so many unknowns. So, uh, what do you tell the CEO to tell their people? What's the message, generally speaking, to, to your workforce about uh, that our business is in, in real trouble? It's uh, it's a combination of a few things, but you do have to be direct and transparent, and you have to, if you're not a subject matter expert, you need to work with the subject matter experts to share um, specific information that can be credible. 
And then I would assume that since you work with multiple clients that there's some that do it really well and there's some that don't. So um, uh, give me an example of someone who does it sure. really well and uh, what they did and, and uh, what was the, you know, what was the outcome? I mean, how did people sure. react to it? I think, you know, one example, and, and this isn't uh, a client I work with, but it's it's something I've seen and watched as a, as a great example is what Starbucks is doing right now. Um, they've stood up an entire uh, microsite within their corporate site dedicated to COVID-19. And it's kind of a, a bit of a running blog where you're seeing um, posts over time over this issue from their senior most leadership, uh, how they are, um, the measures they're taking to protect the health and well-being of their employees, you know, when they change their stores to a to-go only model, um, how they're uh, then financially supporting their employees during this time, ensuring, you know, they have their compensation and their benefits and how they're communicating that and, and doing so in a transparent fashion. There's nothing happening um, behind veiled doors with Starbucks. And you also have a clear understanding through that microsite how they see their role um, in society and in, in their local communities around, you know, where they have their stores. And I think that's been really impressive because I think inherently you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, your, your local coffee shop to be um, so focused on a major global health issue. But here they are um, giving folks information, uh, passing on how how folks can, you know, protect their health and their well-being, what they can do to stay safe and, and what they can do to continue to support a business and, and interact with them. And I think that's been really impressive. And so some of the big corporations like that, um, you know, we've gone through a, a real boom in business and the, the market's been up and, you know, profits are high. So maybe some of them can, um, you know, can can get it through this tough period and, and come out fine on the other end. Uh, when you're talking with uh, smaller businesses and the margins are much less and the, the, the amount of money is much less, um, this kind of event can take them right out of business. So how do you, uh, how do you advise those people? Is it, is it to you know, try and maintain what they can and try and get through this? Or do you actually uh, you know, have to kind of give a message that, uh, that we're finished? Well, you know, if, if I were in that position advising that small business, I wouldn't want to um, continue to put them in a dangerous position where they felt that they were just um, kind of digging their own financial grave. I think kind of how the, some of the remarks I made earlier and being direct and transparent, um, if, you know, the executive team or, or the business owner is thinking, we're not going to make it through this. I don't see how I can keep paying my employees. Um, as soon as you're having those thoughts and that's becoming a scenario, I think that's when you immediately have to start thinking about, okay, how soon can I share this with my employees? Um, because, you know, they're concerned about their lives and their well-being too. But the most important thing right now is making sure folks stay healthy and safe. And safe. Um, so maybe there is a situation where we're temporarily closing um, so people aren't, you know, in our, our small shop or our small business. And then hopefully when we get through this, we'll be able to reopen. But, you know, being direct and transparent, um, whether you're a small business or, or a mega global company, I think those are all critical um, measures that everyone has to apply right now to their communications. You know, it's um, probably not a lot of people uh, know that there's people that deal just in crisis management. Uh, obviously, you do, and uh, I think I think after this incident, you guys are going to be um, everyone's going to want a crisis management person because it's uh, certainly necessary with some of these big issues. <laughs> it's it's nothing like uh, an actual live crisis to scare folks into thinking that hey, we need to actually plan for this. Um, some companies have some really robust preparedness plan um, in place already. Some some don't, but I think um, not necessarily uh, 
not enough folks were anticipating a, a global pandemic this year. So a lot of a lot of folks have been caught flat-footed. I think I read somewhere where most companies that um, have you know are big enough to have structure and planning and so on. Everyone has an earthquake plan, but nobody had a pandemic plan. Well, Al, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, you're certainly on the front lines of trying to help businesses and and leaders, um, uh, you know, chart their way through this uh, this crazy time we're in. And it's uh, it's not easy. I'm sure you're going to be really busy, and uh, your next few weeks will probably be uh, crazy in a different way than others. But uh, I, uh, you know, appreciate all you do for the for the companies and then the people that that count on those companies. No problem at all, Steve. I appreciate the time speaking with you. Thank you. And finally today, I'd like to end the program with a true dear friend of mine, Drew Bosson. He has a very unique business model. He employs people. He has contracts. He serves uh, services like, like so many of what we heard today. And he's had to make these uh, hard decisions as, as well and, and give messages to people that aren't easy to give. So let's finish this off today hearing from Drew Bosson. Now I'd like to welcome to the program Drew Bosson, who is the Executive Vice President at Atlas Injury Prevention Solutions. Drew, welcome to the program. Thanks, Steve. We're doing really well. I know that you just picked up a real nice contract uh, with a with the um, uh, public transportation system, and and um, but then there's uh, there's other things part of the business you have to deal with. So what what has gone on? And again, you don't have to use names if you don't want to, but just. Uh, um, you probably had some ups and downs lately. Yeah, we have. Um, yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, as it stands right now, we we just because of exposure, we've been asked not to come on site uh, at sites. And these aren't people that you know that want to close off service, um, but they want to kind of postpone it, if you will, uh, for the time being, just to decrease risk. Uh, and I, I get that. One of our largest clients um, is has asked us to, to take a, uh, a brief hiatus as well, which impacts lots of lives and lots of uh, you know, team members. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's challenging. It's never easy. Um, painful conversations, but uh, you know, it's kind of where we we sit today. Yeah. So you've had a a very large client uh, in that um, in that area that uh, basically has told you to that they want to uh, stop for what is it two or three months or something like that. So that then your largest client is uh, going to have no revenue for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know we've uh, it, it, that's exactly they they want to come out on the other side, um, but uh, they're in a you know, cash conservation mode right now um, to protect their business. And so, you know, interestingly, we, we could play a different game with them and they might have to pay us out. And But but we want to come out on the other side as well with them. They're, they're a fantastic partner. They have been a partner for us for many years and um, uh, have helped us grow our business. And so, um, you know, we, we, are committed to work with them, but uh, you know, in the interim, there's a fair amount of pain. And then in this new contract that you got, <clears throat> you're really excited about it. And um, basically, it's it's. You know, I think you told me before you're not going to lose the the contract, but uh, there's going to obviously be some dramatic changes made. And so, uh, uh, what's what's yeah, this week been like? 
yeah, that that's um, been a a really shining star for us. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, the difference of maybe being a public entity versus a privately held company, or you know, a, a, you know something that is traded, I should say. A, a, uh, so there, you know, in, in that circumstance, uh, you know, the uh, the business is funded because it's a public entity, and and uh, you know those jobs and uh, appear safe, um, and uh, you know that's one we'll march on. We're going to be a, you know, that's a great anchor for us, and particularly coming in at this point in time. You know, when you look at um, you know those business decisions, I know that you're trying to um, you know. Uh, as we all are, uh, create a business and and keep the revenue coming in, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a big hiccup in that. Um, what, uh, from a leadership perspective, um, what do you do? What do you? Uh, what message do you give your people that are going to be affected by it? And and how do you plan for what you don't even know what the future? I have thought so much about that this and the last, uh, but. Ten days? I mean, has it only been ten days? Maybe not even that. Uh, I mean, and yeah, but it's, you know, we're we're doing uh, you know five a.m. calls, but you know, each each day, just at the beginning for an hour or two, just to you know, touch base, see where our forecasts lie, and you know, what does it mean? Um, the, the thing that I can't get out of my head here is uh, the. The people that uh, you know, this is going to affect, um, and I. So I, I've, I've kind of coined this. You know, I, I, I have to lead with my heart, and I, and and don't get me wrong, uh, and I'll get to the other side of it. But but leading with the heart is, I, 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 I want this team to be together on the other side of this, and so I have to listen, and I have to listen exceedingly well, harder than I probably have ever had that I've ever done in my life. Um, and, but, but that being said, um, I, I have to be all the listening in the world. And, you know, it, it's not that we're bending to all the needs of all the people. We're, we're trying to come to a, a balanced solution because at the end of the day, I have a responsibility to give them a place to land in hopefully two months, three months, whatever it's going to be. Um, uh, and, and so, this is leading to some some very um, hard decisions in terms of staffing and how we're going to move forward with it. So, you know, leading with the heart to um, a compassion and humility and and understanding, but um, but through the business lens of of making certain that this business survives to provide. Um, a, a place to flourish thereafter. I mean, we're trying to balance all of those components uh, as we as we go through this total unknown. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've built out models uh, till the end of the year, and I I hope very, you know, it could be better than our models. Um, but we 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 started at what do we think the worst could be with this thing. Yeah, and I think most of the people I've talked to have, have felt the same way that it's like, you know, it's such a big thing that, that you know, most people aren't thinking that I'm going to have to close my business and I'm done. Most of them are thinking, I just got to, I just got to find a bridge for two or three months. And, um, you know, that, that that's hard to do when you're dealing with businesses that don't have these, you know, high margins, like in the tech world and so on. So it's, uh, it's, it's hard to plan, yeah. but, uh, it would be, uh, irresponsible to not plan something, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
so it's uh, and it's day by day. You know, the, the the plan we put together, you know, this morning, you know, uh, could change dramatically in the next three to five or you know ten days. You know, you look at the numbers, and and uh, everybody keeps saying it's gonna, it's probably gonna get worse before better, and so that's um, that's a sobering thought because it's been pretty bad. It's crazy time. So um, uh, thanks for uh, you know just sharing some of those stories with me, and uh, I know that uh, all our lives are gonna change uh, pretty dr- drastically here in the next uh, few weeks if it hasn't already. So uh, just remember what's important and keep going forward, right? You know, I I, uh, I was out to taking a hike uh, today, and I think I saw more families out than I had seen in a long time. And uh, uh, and everybody's taking a little bit more time with their neighbor and and you know speaking to one another. And I I, I believe that at the end of the day, um, you know, we're going to have a little bit more humanity with within our nation. And that's not such a bad thing. So. Yeah, and I think some of the other people I've talked to as well is I think we're going to learn a lot. You know, I think we're going to learn how to how to not only lead and and plan through a crisis, but also I think we're going to learn, you know, maybe some efficiencies, or we're going to learn uh, a different way to do things. We're going to learn something we can't even put our finger on right now, but yeah. you know, if we do our jobs right, we 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 learn from mistakes and we learn from uh, situations we're put into, and hopefully that makes us better in the long run. I think we become better parents and grandparents. That's what I'd see. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. All right, Drew. Well, thanks so much for uh, being on the show today, and uh, take care, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, down the road. Always good. Thanks, Steve. So there we have it. Unbelievable, unbelievable situation that we're all in. Here you heard leaders that are in difficult, uh, unstrategized positions and, and just trying to do what's right. Uh, take care of themselves, take care of their people, and do what's right for society. It's not a time to judge, but it will certainly be apparent of those who led their people well and those who maybe didn't. So I thought it would just be really great to talk to people that uh, are in the trenches, see what they're doing, see what challenges they have, and uh, and we can learn something from it. So as we go onward, uh, we know this crisis is probably going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, we still don't know where we're headed, but all we know is we need to stick together. And and as people, we can do amazing things. So believe in each other. Um, don't judge others. Do what you think is best and move on. I want to thank all of my guests for taking time out of their very busy and crazy schedules to share some insight with us and uh, to hopefully uh, uh, give some input and, and give some help to those that are they're looking for answers. So until next time, be safe. Stay healthy and be supportive of those around you. Together we can do this. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.